This is Queers at the End of the World, the podcast where Uranus is always in retrograde and that's where she belongs. I'm your host, Nina. And I'm your host, Nat. And this is our second to last episode of season one of Queers at the End of the World. Welcome to July. For this month, we are going to have two episodes and they're going to be parts one and two of our live role-playing session of Dream Askew, which is a game by Avery Alder, who you met in our last episode. Nat, do you want to tell folks a little bit about kind of why we wanted to get everybody together to play Dream Askew? So way back when we talked to Trey Andrea about The Last of Us 2 and thought about the idea of a queer utopia, Mm. It struck me that we should find a way to play a game that's connected with the ideas that we've been talking about throughout season one. And I knew about this game designer, Avery Alder, who, of course, you heard our absolutely wonderful interview with in the last episode. She's designed these games that are connected with ideas of apocalypse and dystopia, or in her words, post-collapse worlds and spaces. And I thought it would be so cool to play one of those games. And we hit on the idea together of bringing back some of the guests that we interviewed on the show to play this game with us and revisit the ideas we talked about, but be in the mind of play, Yeah, which to me is so different, right? It's creative. It's much mm-hmm. more nonlinear. It's funny because I was like, oh, we had all these really intense, deep conversations for the podcast. It's going to be like such an intense, deep, like we're going to figure out queer utopia. Nah, it's extremely silly. So (laughs) be prepared for many ideas to come back and to hear these familiar voices. And it's just going to be ridiculous and silly and fun. It was, it is, (laughs) it will be. And I, but you know, I really value humor as part of thinking about these ideas. And I've played role-playing games with many different groups, groups of queer folks and otherwise. And sometimes it's silly, sometimes it's serious. It really depends on the kind of story that particular group needs and wants to tell and kind of finds together. Mm. So, I mean, the fact that we found a very silly story was the source of great joy to me. (laughs) And, you know, I think that there was some uh, heartfelt and serious moments in in all the craziness as well. So So hold on for him. Yeah. And this, and this particular group is uh, Nat and I, and also a Osworth Austin, who uh, you met in our station 11 episode, as well as Trey Andrea Russworm, um, who you met in our episode on the last of us two Rue DeLuce and George Warren, uh, who you met in our episode talking about food and food sovereignty and language in the month where we were talking about Mad Max and Eliana Gasawa, who you met when we were talking about Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. We'll get into the actual play in a moment, and we'll kind of begin with folks introducing their characters that they've designed. But before we do, we should tell you a little bit about Dream Askew and just sort of give you a sense of the game itself. Um, it's a pretty open form, like there's no dice, there's no DM, it's Avery Elder's no dice, no master system. So it's it's a pretty free form, like handing it back and forth storytelling game with just enough structure to sort of help people know who should be talking at any given moment. And you'll hear us introducing our characters. And then one of the interesting things about Dream Askew is that 
in addition to playing the character you create who holds a role in the apocalyptic community that you imagine together, you also play an element of the setting. And that's kind of how the game makes up for not having a DM or dungeon master at the center of play who would describe the setting for the players and set up the conflict. So in Dream Askew, instead, the players themselves create the conflict for each other and they create the setting for each other. Yes. So one of the things I absolutely love about Dream Askew is just this dual quality of how you play and who you play. We are all kind of collectively becoming the story. And these setting elements and the fact that we each play one are so cool just in what the different elements are. And then also, I love the language that Avery Alder uses to articulate these. Yeah, she's such a wonderful writer. Unbelievable. So we have the varied scarcities is one of them. And the idea here is there is actually a an element of the environment that is scarcity. This is like sort of the space of competition, paranoia, scavengers, hustlers, bandits, things not being there and the group maybe needing them or wanting them. That is the varied scarcities. There is the psychic maelstrom, which is, of course, what it sounds like. <laughs> um, it's... psychic layer to the world, which is so cool because there is, it's not magic. I I don't know exactly what you'd call it, but there's things beyond the pale in Dream Askew. And this is the kind of heart of that. It's so interesting to me, the psychic maelstrom, because I feel like in our game, it turned out to be magic. And I think in a lot of games, it probably does act a little bit like magic. But when I first encountered Dream Askew and I read that there was an element of the setting called the psychic maelstrom. It was like in the middle of COVID. And I was like, that is so real. Like that is such an aspect of this moment is this sort of like maelstrom of anxiety and like everybody doing things at once, like the way that everybody like made sourdough at the same time or bought out hand sanitizer at the same time, like, or like wanted to buy a house at the same time, like all of the the ways that desires are shaped by the same events and then, and then express in these similar ways. I was like, that is the psychic maelstrom in the like, both like magical, non-magical sense of experience of a, of a collapse. Gosh, I love the idea of thinking of that Mm -hmm. as magic because of course the memory I have of those times when I felt connected in that particular way with people (laughs) didn't feel good. It it, it felt like a kind of collective storm, like you're saying. And I think that that's a really beautiful take Mm. on magic, that it's got a side to it that's suffering and group desires that are maybe unfulfilled and manifesting through this particular set of actions that we're all simultaneously engaged in, like Mm, a ritual. Yeah. The next one is, this is one of my favorite linguistic constructs in Dream is Q, society intact. Mm. And this is so cool because society intact is, of course, connected with the notion that the collapse doesn't hit everyone at the same time. Mm. Civilization crumbles in waves. Uh, and so we're thinking about, for some privileged folks, apocalypse is only a distant nightmare. Um, And I'm reading from the RPG now, but we imagine that even in this post-collapse wasteland or wherever we are in this enclave, there is an area where society remains intact 
And perhaps we need to relate with those folks behind the walls who have prevented themselves through privilege, resources, whatever they have access to in this world from the kind of danger or suffering or whatever um, problems that we are dealing with in our queer post-collapse enclave. So we move on to, there's the digital realm, which sort of self-explanatory networks, shared knowledge, code, you know, whatever vestiges of the internet remain, this is an element of the environment that someone can control. We have the outlying gang. <laughs> We're like, yeah, Vikings <laughs> for Mad Max. Yes. <laughs> and then the final one is the earth itself. So healing, reciprocity, new forms, the fall of man, all these like cool keywords are are here in the RPG for this setting element. And of course, you're literally controlling like the earth that the group is standing on, you know, this place that we all are, the nature, the natural world, weather events, all kinds of different natural things kind of coming into being and mm-hmm. influencing the queer yeah and that's kind of how the setting element works is that like when we say like it might be a little confusing to hear us say like oh you play an element of the setting but what that means is like when somebody's like oh it's raining and the person who plays the earth itself describes the rain and the way that it's affecting folks and like opens a space for something to happen in response to that fact or someone's like oh i have to get on the internet and the person playing the digital realm describes what that would be like and then you can also play people associated with the, that setting, like non-player characters associated with that setting. So someone could be like, this bikey gang rolls up to the gate, and then the person playing the outlying gangs might play that bikey gang. So that's kind of what it means to like play the setting. Exactly. I feel like that's probably enough for folks to be able to follow, um, and it'll sort of become clear where we are once the gameplay starts. Like I said, we'll begin with characters, but we wanted to give you that setting element because we don't really like introduce our setting elements in the portion of the gaming that you'll hear. So you're about to meet everybody's characters, and um, and then we'll kind of slowly get into creating scenes. And the way that the mechanics of Dream Askew works you talk about your characters and then when you find a scene that you want to play, you start there and everything kind of builds and builds on itself as you go. And that's what you're about to hear. And so last thing, I just wanted to like make note because the story we end up telling does have a lot of kind of talk about alcohol use and drug use. So we wanted to give you a little bit of a content warning. So let's get started with part one of our actual play of Dream Askew. Like, are we just reading all of these prompts Yeah. in here? Okay. I believe that would mean you would be first, Austin. Yes. Hi. So I'm Austin. My pronouns are they, them. And I'm playing the torch whose name, as far as you all are concerned, is the empress. Pronouns also they, them. What you would know about them so far is that they have a, a series of acolytes and they also have a series of lovers. At this point, two, but until recently, three. And they generally appear covered head to toe in reclaimed lace, covered in the face as well, with the exception of when uh, they initiate the Bacchanal, then they appear in something quite different. Generally, if you have gone to see the Empress, um, you will know that their wisdom comes from a set of tarot cards. And uh, that is essentially 
all you would know at this point. So mysterious. Um, okay, so I'm next. Hi, my name's Ellie, she, her pronouns, and I am playing the Stitcher, and the Stitcher's name is Depo, and Depo doesn't use pronouns at all, and just prefers, like, Depo's name to be used as pronouns, I guess, to be referred to as Depo, and Depo has appraising eyes and gloved hands. Depo is agender, and Depo wears... Like a repurposed mechanics uniform. So I guess a, a not, not a onesie. What's the better word for onesie? But you know. <laughs> and it has countless pockets that Depot has like hand sewn. And there's a bunch of secret compartments on the inside. And oftentimes when Depot walks by, like everyone hears a bunch of clinking noises. But like you don't exactly know where those clinking noises are coming from. And Depot is in charge of the workshop space for the commune and it serves as a broadcasting space and an art space. So broadcasting, I guess, to other queer communes and enclaves, maybe even to society intact if like something needs to happen. And also just like further beyond like 50 miles, a hundred miles, just because I think Depot is curious to see what is out there, who is and how everyone else is doing. Let's see. Uh, the bulk of, Depot supplies, my supplies come from a partially excavated landfill. So I imagine our enclave is like maybe in the mountains where like a former landfill was. So Depot has two key relationships and that is with a ghost who haunts Depot's workshop and a beautiful boy who makes Depot trip up. (laughs) My words. So, and I think in... This ghost that haunts a workshop used to be in a relationship with this beautiful boy. So they're in like this complicated like triad with a ghost and this beautiful boy. And that's what I have so far. (laughs) Okay. This is Nat Mesnard. Pronouns are they, them. And I am going to be playing a hawker named Proust. What is there to say about Proust? Pronouns are he and they. Proust's gender is dagger daddy. You know, this is a person who is very involved in trade and providing people with various necessities in this commune, maybe working out supply lines that would bring important resources maybe up into this mountainous area where we're living. Despite that this might be a kind of a rugged situation, Proust actually dresses in vintage formal. So we're talking like a tux. It's not like a perfectly maintained tux, but obviously you can see see them coming uh, because of being so kind of elegantly done. And everyone knows who Proust is because he deals liquor, coffee, and guns. (laughs) He's very necessary unless you happen to be someone that doesn't need or use any of those things, in which case you can let him pass on by. So I am the arrival and um, my name is Dr. Bishop. I don't generally share my first name. My pronouns are she, hers, although I, I really do prefer to be called doctor. I just got here and I showed up at the enclave in some like pretty rough looking scrubs and um, I'm kind of like a I'm kind of like a long-haired butch situation so I'm a tomboy 
I did not know that there were more genders. So tomboy is what I is what I got. I knew the Enclave existed because my daughter lived there for several years. And I haven't talked to her in forever. So I don't know if she's there still, but I knew this place existed. And so when whatever happened, happened that caused me to show up in my scrubs, this is where I thought to come. I've got some photos of her from when she was a kid, but that's, that's all I got. And then um, the two key relationships are the people I fled from and the, per- the first person to offer me a stiff drink. Oh, okay. <laughs> mm. Okay, is it my turn? So this is Rue speaking. Uh, usually he pronouns or they pronouns. Um, and I will be playing Iris Lively, who has a willowy frame and pale eyes. Their gender is void emerging. Uh <laughs> Which means to them that all pronouns are awesome. And it's just the most ideal situation is that each pronoun gets used at least once uh, during a day. Void Lively always wears ceremonial garb, which takes the form of a plaid shirt with overalls and a large, large sun, like a sun hat, big floppy sun hat. And the reason they're ceremonial is because they never get washed. And then they have two psychic gifts. One is memory harvesting. And the other is brain whispers. And that's all she knows about them so far. She grew up on an environmental mitigation site that turned into a flower farm in upstate New York, right outside Aquasasne. Um, And when uh, she first realized that the apocalypse might be coming... Uh, she had this vision, this touch with the psychic maelstrom, and it told her that she could swallow their pain away. So she she comes into the situation with two really key relationships. The slow-dying drag mama, whose pain I ease, and an impure soul, which I monitor carefully. And then my lure is, whenever someone invites me to use my psychic gifts on them, they gain a token. I wonder what happens to that pain when you swallow it away. Like, do you absorb it? Does it, like... Mm. <laughs> Heartburn? Do you need some yeah, Tums? like indigestion. <laughs> what, what is our Tom situation in the book? <laughs> okay, so I am playing the tiger. And the tiger is the... The tiger's name is... Um, Blues, and Blues is the leader of the gang called the Real Fireflies. So Blues has been in the Enclave for quite a while. Um, Her pronouns are she, they. She has a tattooed face and tattooed arms. Her gender is hard femme. She wears a combination of tailored suits, and these are always pinstriped tailored navy suits. She will wear any shirt under the tailored navy suit, pinstripe tailored navy suit. Uh, sometimes it's a crisp white shirt when she's fortunate enough to find one. Sometimes it's a t-shirt. The shirts are not as important as the suit, but reliably she always wears tailored navy suits and armor on top of that suit. And in this case, she's quite often can be seen wearing her shoulder holsters, sporting two Glocks 
uh, Glock 19s on each side, either side of her. There is a third Glock on her body somewhere, but it is in a secret place. The gang trappings, so the gang, the, the real fireflies, are known for the guns that they have in excess, hence why Blues has at least three guns. Um, she's a little evasive sometimes about that number. Uh, she will tell you it's it's three, but it, that might not actually be true. And they are also known for having large supplies of medical supplies, large stashes and medical supplies all throughout the Enclave uh, and in the area in general. Their biggest flaw as a gang is uh, that unsettling murder that we shall not speak of, um, but there has been some trust lost since this murder. She also has key relationships with her hungry for blood sibling, Ashante. He is young and impulsive, uh, but she tries to keep him under her wing and under wraps, but he has been known to cause a good deal of trouble. And the other relationship is with the aging dyke who cooks Blue's dinner quite often. Maybe Blue's with that gang can supply you with the tom <laughs> for the <laughs> metabolizing of people's pain. Oh my goodness. So let's talk about the enclave that we're living in. We got a little bit of a start there with a suggestion that this might be in the mountains. And we all get to decide this together. I feel like there's a lot of plants. Otherwise, Iris Lively wouldn't be there. <laughs> I was really actually like feeling the mutant plants blooming thing. Yes. Having mutant yes. plants in this enclave. Absolutely. What do they look like? Oh, big mushrooms. Like gigantic, like redwood forest side mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. Like. Have you ever seen, oh gosh, they're really edible. They're really common. They look just like a flat square. Puffballs? Puffballs. Oh my gosh. So I always thought puffballs were tiny, but they get like quite big. So what if just like each year they keep getting bigger and bigger? They also explode in order to sporulate at a certain point in the season. So I feel like that would be a real good feature if like you mm. have gigantic like house size Puffballs. And we all have umbrellas that, like, every so often you're just like three, two, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Would they make, like, good housing materials? Like, do we carve into these puffballs, like, when they first emerge and then, like, we're, like, kind of have to move houses frequently <laughs> before they explode? I don't know. Yeah, we both have houses in them. <laughs> oh, man. Perhaps that this is too obvious and so tell me if we should uh look elsewhere but someone did say the mountains i can't remember who i did and so i'm wondering like like this is we are not close to the society intact is my suggestion but we have the land we have the partially excavated landfill which is where we get a lot of our supplies i like the idea of mountains being here and then maybe there's some kind of scenario where we're in this location with all these mushrooms and sort of wilderness because it's protected mm. so like maybe you would have to go through the mountains to get here and it's sort of like this natural wall maybe we even have like i don't know like little ladders or something or like little like holes that you go through and then we like close it we hide it so we're in the valley i was just going to suggest that maybe we're in the valley and the valley was like just used as a landfill mm -hmm. for years and mm -hmm. years so it was like this mountain 
range with this like awesome valley in the middle and then they just dumped trash into it until it was like you know full so we kind of um what if we lived at the like crater of the mountaintop removal site i love that idea Mm. like talking about the west virginia like we're talking about appalachia like let's talk about mountain removal site Um, cause that's the, that's the truly wild place, right? Is the place where humans are like, oh, we're done with this. And that's where the wild things start happening. All right. So we're in the crater, um, and we've got a partially excavated landfill below us. I like it. I feel like that landfill might be pretty contested too. Mm. People, people really want what's in there now. And maybe that is part of why um, our enclave is so dependent on the real fireflies and on Proust because we have found ourselves of late having to defend our access to the space. Like ongoing escalating tensions around it. Like suddenly having to defend a resource that was not contested previously. And to to, to deal with all the stress of protecting this... um, Wasteland mountaintop crater. Uh, we have raging parties, and that's a way to kind of blow off some steam. Oh. <laughs> I have even more supplies for that. <laughs> I kind of have this vision of it being like, yay! And then, like, my character's like, let's shoot guns into the air. And it's like, no, 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 no. And the Empress initiates the Bacchanal once a month on the full moon. Oh. So it sounds like we were actually starting to get a little bit into the conflicts. What are people wanting here? Well, I feel like if we're, we love parties and mutant emergent plants and reclaiming things, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like hedonism comes in, right? Like that's, that's one of the reasons for originally choosing a place that was not wanted um, I'm also obviously always drawn to land rights. I think in here it says indigenous land rights. I think it's a complicated term to use in this context. But yeah, I don't know. Those are two that I think Iris coming from the the flower farm that used to be a reclamation site uh, is into. I feel like hedonism would be an issue if we had people as part of the conclave who were really not into hedonism. I think personally for my character, it's very scary, hedonism. I can see there being folks coming from an orthodox society who are like, oh, like I want to party in this this crater. And there being like influxes of folks like who are interested in like coming here. And we're like dealing with like more and more people kind of showing up and trying to have access to this like hedonistic space. I can also see people showing up to try to convert or um, missionary style, <laughs> like try to try to save us. Mm, yeah. And I can also see like a growing conflict again around like this like liberatory queer space that we all came together to make. And we chose this amazing place that we turned into a some kind of utopia in which like pleasure is not a bad thing. Um, but that's also attracted people who are becoming like more about that. And what I think mm-hmm. about is the lesson that we had all seen uh, in 2016 with the influx of people to Standing Rock who were not there for the right mm. purposes. And so maybe there's this conflict between people who are 
are there for the reclamation and the like good living who don't demonize pleasure, but then people who are like, this is about the the pleasure and the hedonism. Love that. So maybe it's not even like the landfill exactly that is the newly contested resource, but in some ways it's like our queer joy. <laughs> so the um, scarcity thinking is among it, among the selections regarding the landfill. Is that something that, that we should consider? Um, not just, not just the practicalities of the landfill, but like the attitude toward it. Awesome. That makes sense. I was about to say, I was like, because I remember how Blues is saying that the gang has, like, a lot of access to medical supplies. Like, where are these medical supplies coming from? Wow. We're dealing with mutant plants. Like, that's that's one of the first places that plants will mutate, right? It's not to get giant, but to, like, start creating new compounds that are useful in certain mm. ways. And that's, like, another thing that's attracting people to the massive hedonistic party in the crater to like not only experience group sex, but also medical supplies. TV and medical supplies really does sound like queer utopia. <laughs> the gauze is over here. The psychedelics are over here. Love it. So that feels like a perfect place for us to start to do the ask left. And that's going to help us establish our relationships a little bit more deeply. And as we do these asking prompts, you can select whatever one in your character sheet feels the most interesting to you. And then as we go into these, we're in the phase called idle dreaming, which means we can ask to actually play out a scene. And if a scene would involve one of the environmental elements, we can bring that person in or the folks involved can play it out however they want to do it. So it's up to you if you want to do something more in depth so that we can kind of fill in what's going on, or we can just continue depending on how each of those questions feels to the folks who are answering it. Does that sound good? Austin, you're the first person. So Depot, why did we break up? Oh, <laughs> Depot had a relationship with the lace-clad empress of the Enclave. Ooh, um, I think it has something to do with my ghost triad, obviously. <laughs> Thinking like maybe I was so preoccupied with this beautiful boy, who, but then the ghost at the same time is like, this was my former lover. And it was just getting too much. And I was like, I can't also have the intense, mysterious attention of the empress <laughs> i was curious how you felt about the breakup empress the empress is not pleased with the breakup um this is not how they wanted this to go the empress needed three lovers at one time and now they only have two and they are on the prowl for their third one at this moment um and what they would really like is to get Debo back Ooh. I feel like Depot was also worried that the Empress was like eyeing the ghost a little bit too much. Has that created some conflict in their relationship with the ghost as well? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like the ghost is, was it a former relationship with this beautiful boy? But yes, I think it would, co- co- um, because I think the ghost is just naturally interest, like, is like gravitates towards the Empress, like, 
just yeah allure and grandeur and the mystery and and the occultness of but then at the same time like right after um the ghost died was like thinking about Lemieux so like his the ghost's like worldly soul is like attached to Lumiere, Lumiere. Let's do Lumiere. So, so the ghost is like trying to wrestle between his like afterlife soul wants and needs, and then his like this ghost triad is getting sticky. Plasma everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I hope no one has a black light. <laughs> Ghostbuster fantasy. Okay. Okay. Who am I asking next? I'm asking Nat. Okay. What broken thing do you have that I could fix? Interesting. Yes. So I have to figure this out. I guess I assume I have like an area that is like a coffee shop bar that also sells guns. And I assume that people, it's not like nice there. It's just sort of set up so that people can come hang out and enjoy various indulgences. And I think actually what has happened is recently the, I got to get the language for this, right? The Wasteland Salvager who brings in Mm. what I need has actually found an espresso machine. So I currently do pour overs with regular coffee grounds, you know, uh, I, I've got this like m- mason jar set up and some kind of like jury rigged thing that makes it so that we can have relatively good coffee with what's on hand at the time, even if the beans are slightly older. But I found an espresso machine and I would really, I, I'm like honestly kind of trying to lean on you to get you to come and. <laughs> kind of refurbish and fix this thing up uh, because I, I think that um, not only do I want to make espresso, I also think it's going to be really good for business and it's going to bring in a lot of cash money for these parties that we're running. People need this stuff the next day when they wake up hungover and they need a little shot of caffeine to get them going in the morning. Okay. I will I'll ask uh, ask my question left, which I mine goes to Nina. Um, and that is going to be why have I been sizing you up recently? Um all right, so Bishop has I think there there are a number of things that I think you might be looking for from Bishop. This enclave has not had a doctor before they've got like some people who are like medics and who have a lot of like on the job skills but there hasn't really been somebody who can who has like you know training like classical Mm -hmm. training and um i think that proust is thinking they want bishop to be another of their products and they want to kind of like control the access line to bishop's medical skills maybe if they can so, like, when you got here, maybe I'm like, hey, do you need somewhere to stay? Because um, I can hook you up with you... that. Yeah, should we play it out? Uh, yeah, let's do it. You look tired. Yeah, I just, I, I um, uh, wh- where, what's this place? What, this is like a, a, a coffee shop or something? Do you guys have coffee? <laughs> we have everything. 
Just name your poison. It's on offer here. You, do you have whiskey? And I just like take out this bottle of whiskey. Boom. And it's oh. it's unlabeled. It just has like XXX, you know, <laughs> thing. <laughs> just it, it, the whole thing like rattles. Oh, um, yeah, I'll have a, uh, I'll have two fingers of whatever that is. Well, I also would like a drink. Um, the usual, Bruce. <laughs> Blues gets three fingers. That third <laughs> finger is on the house. Thank you. Thank you. This, you know, slide it down. These past few days have been crazy with so much going on. We had a couple of breaches. You know, I, I, I just can't sleep these days, but it's good to, it's good to see. Hey, who's this? Who's this uh, new person? I don't, I don't think we've met before. Is that a finger in that, those three fingers of whiskey? I don't know. I don't know this person's name, actually. What did you say your name was? I've never, I haven't seen a swizzle stick shaped that way before. That's just, that's part of the usual <laughs> when you come here to Proust. It's actually one of our mutated mushroom varieties that we have popping up around here. It adds a, a distinct mint and lemon taste to everything. Oh my gosh, can we have it be that you were sitting there and you just like turned around and said this? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did, yes. Meet Iris. <laughs> With my pale eyes. It adds a little zing to the, to the whiskey. I'm just gonna... <laughs> Unnervingly, I stared everyone down and then announced this about our unique mushroom varieties. Well, let's not talk about the mushrooms yet until we find out a little bit about our, our friend here. That's fine. And then I just scurry off to the corner again. <laughs> where I'm looking at various plant leaves. So, so the interesting thing is, is I didn't. I usually get radioed when uh, we get a visitor or someone of distinction, but I haven't heard anything. So it would be great for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, and we'll see what we think. You know, not to be a little protective or a little uh, alarmed, but things have been on edge lately, and uh, I, I, I didn't introduce myself. Let me just let you know who I am. I'm Blues. Uh, we have some pretty strict rules about visitors, and I'm assuming you're here because you are welcome, that you are a person that uh, can add to our enclave and our environment for however long or short of amount of time you're, you're going to be here. So I was going to say that I'm Blues, and I guess you can think of me as Head of security. I have a lot of titles, okay, but but head of security is the best title uh, for now. And um, who are you? Um, I'm, my name is Dr. Bishop. Wow, how formal of you. And I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Giving everybody kind of a winky, I'm so interested kind of look. <laughs> I think I, I think I fish around in my pocket um, and uh, and several several dollar bills fall out. Large, large uh, <laughs> large nominations. Um, which makes perfect sense because one of the two values of the society intact is profit eternal. Um, so this this may be um, this may be someone here who is ready to profit off of the resources mm. of our enclave. Just so everyone knows. 
Dr. Bishop may be here for that reason, because that is one of the values that uh, drives where they might have come from. And it's so much the air that I breathe that it doesn't even occur to me that you guys would be suspicious of this. So there's like money falling out of my pockets. And then I'm like getting awkwardly off my stool to like pick it up. And then I like finally managed to pull this little snapshot out of my pocket. And I just show it to you, Luz. And I'm like, do you know this person? Maybe. What's it? What's uh? What's it to you? Do you want me to say if I've ever seen this person before? If I if I know them in a, a special way? If I know of them? If I've seen them before? You know, a lot of people come through here, and uh, maybe after another drink or two, you know, we can talk. Um. Okay. Can I buy you a drink? Yes, absolutely. Now, hold on here, Blues. You know we don't take money in this organization. Be honest with the kid. Well, you know, I, I figured we'll get some more answers this way if I play along and, and take a little bit of the, of the cash and see how, see how this goes. I'm still trying to get answers here. Uh, we know that you're Bishop, Dr. 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 Bishop, and that you have a person of interest. At this point, Iris likely steps very close to Dr. Bishop and says, they think it's really suspicious that you have money on you. (laughs) (laughs) Am I supposed to pay in fingers? I don't, I have. So Dr. Bishop, what kind of doctor are you? I am an endocrinologist. Interesting. Well, last question. If you're an endocrinologist, how's your hormone supply these days? Good question. Um, I didn't bring any with me, which I'm realizing after I walked all this way (laughs) was maybe not the greatest idea. But instead, I have a lot of... Okay, Prusa. Uh, I don't know. This one seems kind of harmless. I sort of whisper this to you. This one seems kind of harmless. I, I got to go. But, you know, radio me if you get in trouble. I, I, I don't know what they're doing with this money. But I, I kind of push the, the ammo across the, the, little, the little bar space at you and just give you one of my <laughs> characteristic little yeah. winks like. Yeah. I got well, you. Wait, you said you would tell me if you saw her to your like retreating back. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah we'll meet up again i'm sure um you know take care of yourself we're we're always looking fireflies you know flies on the wall that kind of thing did you take the photo with you blues i did no i took it Ooh. yeah i took it Ooh, i'm very upset <laughs> i'm sure we'll catch up we'll catch up power move I wanted to hand it to the next ask left so we could loop in some of these other characters and find out what's going on with them as well um, I asked Nina, so Nina, um, why don't you ask left with um, Rue, and we can keep keep the train going. So, Miss Iris Lively, my question for you is, why do you wish that I had never arrived? Mm-hmm. What a good question. It's because you said there was nothing you could do for my auntie, who's this dying drag mama, whose pain I ease, and... You said it was terminal, and I just don't believe that that's true. Um, so I don't believe that you're actually a doctor. Maybe this is what happened, like, after 
after Blues left, maybe in the bar, you were like, did you say you were a doctor or something? Like, I can see you, like, being like, come over here, come over here. Like, I need <laughs> I need a doctor for someone or and something And every like time that. anybody gives me a chance to prove my worth to the uh, community, mm-hmm, they get mm-hmm. taken. So. So, so, Dr. Bishop, I didn't want to interrupt earlier because, you know, Blues, very intimidating. So I waited until after Blues left so that I could ask you a specific question about your expertise, which is... I have a dra- a dying drag mama who uh, I would love for you to cure. Uh, it doesn't always work like that. Like just, but okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're a doctor though. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, let's go. She's sitting right over here in this uh, bar, <laughs> this, uh, this special table that she always sits like, at. <laughs> Does anyone want to be her for this scene? Anyone can do it. <laughs> You should do it, Nat. <laughs> oh, Iris, my love, my sweet darling. <laughs> Who is this person? So this is Dr. Look, please, Dr. Bishop, please. Thank you. This is Dr. Bishop. <laughs> Dr. Bishop brought a lot of money with him. So we're all a little concerned about what she's doing, what they're Mommy. doing. She, she, definitely she, definitely she. I, uh, you know what yeah, she, obviously she. As we can <laughs> clearly tell by our rigid gender binaries here in the in the pit. Can I examine you? You, you seem a little peaky. All right, I'll let you because I'm feeling very low today. And then I just sort of like, um, I just sort of lean forward and, uh, and I request her wrist and I like feel her pulse and I sort of like look really self-important for a minute. And then, um, I, uh, I look a little bit blank and then I lean forward and I kind of sniff her and, uh, and then, um, I look at her, the under parts of her eyes and, um, and push back the cuticles of her fingernails and then notice she's kind of sweaty and I'm start to look kind of panicky. And then, uh, and then I pull you aside, Iris. And I'm like, um, sh- she, she, she's going to die any minute. I, there's the, the under eye spots are a telltale sign of, um, uh, demonia. And it looks really advanced. <laughs> And I'm so sorry, um, but I have to go. Yeah, <laughs> that seems like fake news, and you seem like a fake doctor. And the money thing, like, I was willing to overlook that, but no. <laughs> Happy all three. I'm, just, I'm, just to... <laughs> I'm gonna, as Proust, put my hand on your shoulder, Iris. Yeah, of course, yeah. I am being kind of ludicrous as Iris. I recognize that. So thank you for calming me down, Proust, patron of of bad things. <laughs> I, I wanted to do more, but I feel like we should make sure everybody gets to get their ask. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I love that scene. <laughs> so Dr. Bishop is not a doctor. <laughs> So I believe it's my turn to ask. 
It's Iris's turn to ask. And Iris asks Blue, how have I unsettled you in recent days? How have you unsettled me in recent days? Well, honestly, Iris, at the last raging party, it's one thing to, to crush up giant mushrooms, the mutant mushrooms, and taste them a little under the tongue, you know, not, not too much, and kind of ease into the power that they give. Um, but it's another thing altogether to like bathe yourself in them and roll around in them and frolic in the giant mutant glowing mushrooms. The glowing ones in particular, you know, they do have adverse effects. And I really, really, really want people to use caution. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I've never, ever, ever professed to be a doctor. Um, we just happen to have a lot of medical supplies. And I know we don't have what it takes to counter the effects of absorbing all of that in through your skin. And given the state of the world, especially with the varied scarcities and how much um, disease is rampant these days, you gotta be careful with your skin, Iris. So I'm just coming to you out of concern. And maybe the next party, you know, we can really slow down with our intake, our, and when I say our, I, I just mean yours. Um, just kind of slow it down a little. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that because I just, I had to get it off my chest. It was something that, you know, I worry, I worry a lot about us. And that was right there at the tip of it. Mushrooms. Well, Blues, I appreciate the concern. Like that's super nice. Um, I guess it just feels like it's coming out of nowhere because I feel like at the Empress's last orgy, we had all like worked through <laughs> what happened at the last sporulation event. And I feel like you bringing it up right now is a kind of violence. And I mean, okay, that's a little extreme. Okay, it's a little extreme. But this is... I don't know. I just, I need a moment. I need a moment. Yeah, take 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 your time. Um, um, I suggest you ask uh, the Empress something for their cards because it's going to take me a f- many fingers to get over um, what what just happened. Yeah, here. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, as long as we can just keep thinking about our use of the ones that are softer in texture and don't really have that buoyancy, those are the ones we all have to be careful about there. So, um, yeah, but I'll, but I'll, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be violent. It's, it's something that I really do struggle with. Uh, But yeah, Empress. Okay. So. I would like to know, I mean, yesterday was a difficult day. It, it, you know, I think that we're still recovering from the party and we've had a lot of visitors, not just this doctor, bishop person. We've had a lot of visitors in general. Um, but yesterday in particular, Empress, I really want to know, how did I capture your attention yesterday? There was a lot going on. There were a lot of people I was in a lot of places as usual at the same time, kind of moving around and hovering about and, you know, being a firefly. So I just want to know, how did I capture your attention? 
So the Empress flanked by their two lovers was uh, flouncing through the enclave yesterday. Uh, usually they move really like ethereally and floaty. Um, but yesterday they were moving a little bit harsher, a little bit more fiery, which is just a little unusual. And at one point they were basically like sizing up everyone that they passed um, pretty visibly. If you really, if you did pay attention. I always pay attention. Always. And he noticed uh, how much you were paying attention. And so the Empress paid attention back. Uh, and rather than walking up to you at that time, at night, the two lovers of the Empress uh, knocked on your door and presented you with an invitation. Just an invitation um, mm-hmm. for a little tea and lunch. Yeah, I did. I did receive the invitation. You know, thank you very much. And your your lovers didn't say much. You know, they were themselves. They were flowy and they were just striking uh, in a visceral sense, almost in a spiritual sense as well. Anyhow, they uh, they did issue your invitation, which I did receive and accept and that's why I wanted to know how I captured your attention. I knew that I did capture your attention, but I really, it does help for you to provide that, that context, that replay. I like replays and helping me understand how I got the invitation, how I received it. And so I, I look forward to having tea. The Empress does this uncanny head turn with both of their lovers <laughs> toward you, as you ask. Um, <laughs> And and says to you, you captured my attention with your attention. What they do not say is that uh, Depot was standing nearby at the time. It is, and they say this echoed with their two other lovers, evidence of a connection. Wonderful. That puts me at ease. You know, it's not easy to put me at ease, but I I appreciate this. The Empress simply bows their head (laughs) and gestures into the tent. Um, They live in a yurt, um, a very large yurt, um, with a bunch of reclaimed, like, beautiful fabric pillows. And as they pull the tent flap back, uh, they do look over to make sure that Depot is in the vicinity as Blues is walking into the table. Lord, how did I end up in this? Okay, so um, this is happening. Okay, let's uh, let's see what kind of tea. Well, thank you, by the way. I'm very struck by how well put together your tent is. As you know, aesthetics are always important to me. So I'm going to sit here on this fuchsia pillow. And uh, I have a little bit of a back thing, so I'm going to take a few extra pillows here. And I think I'll start with the blue glowing mushrooms powdered a little bit in my tea, if you can. I mean, I don't know what other kind of supplies you have on hand, but if you need some, I can get you some. (laughs) Hot water. Just about a three-minute steep. Can Depot, who, like, witnessed this entire situation from the side, like, go to, like, I go to my workshop space and I, like, make a fake announcement on my broadcasting radio being, like, um, blues, blues, we have a uh, emergency. 
<laughs> There's someone approaching the uh, landfill, and we need a media attention. So, can you please leave wherever you are and head there? But Blue's speaker is still in the bar, and so Iris hears it and then goes to the tent, the yurt. And says, Blues, Depot says that there's someone at the landfill, but I think it's just that they're jealous of you. And <laughs> I'm going back inside if you need me. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Iris. Uh, Empress, I'm going to have to take a rain check. I, I know there's a lot going on, and even if Depot is sort of doing Depot right now, um, I just got to investigate everything. You know, we're really, really on edge here. Um, the fireflies, not everybody else. In order to preserve what we have, I have to take every lead seriously. So especially with my brother acting the way he's been acting these days, I, I just feel a little more comfortable making sure everything is okay. But when the time permits, I would love to have this tea. The emperor pulls a card and looks at it. And then all three of them turn toward you again and says, the rain check will happen when it next rains. Ooh, wonderful. Okay. So it will definitely rain. I'm sure at some point soon, I actually would love to have a reading while I'm here. I mean, I'm on my way out, but, but while I'm here, we have a newcomer who I met and we talked with Proust and, you know, I got, I got this picture. I just want to know, fundamental question about this newcomer, the doctor, Bishop. Can they be trusted? Can he be trusted? The Empress pulls a card. Page of Wands is what they say. And they explain to you, the Page of Wands is an incredibly passionate soul but one just learning and coming into her power. This person is not a doctor. I knew, I knew it. But this person does have something to offer. Hmm. You need to ask her more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and every so often, by the way, when this is happening, the other two lovers facing sort of outward on either side occasionally repeat uh, one of the words so it echoes ethereally through the yurt. Mm-hmm. Um. You know what? I do want to know more about the two lovers in the yurt and Depot and you, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the reading and your company and I'll be in touch. Well, I was wondering actually if just in the story, like if blues went to the entrance and there actually did end up being someone there from the outside. I was going to say, I was like, while this was, you know, Depot being like uh, in midst of jealousy, it was also like, oh, but there is a group of a group of people dressed in like really nice clothing that we haven't seen in a while, like approaching our queer commune. I was also wondering if we had some kind of event coming up like tonight. Is it the full moon? Bacchanal. The Empress initiates the Bacchanal on every full moon. The full moon is just like a beautiful glowing spot in the sky, though, because of all of these gathering rain clouds. The rain. The rain looks like it might be on the way. I also feel like there was an aspect of this party that has to do with it being the last full moon that this drag mama is probably going to see. So maybe like she's going to be like the honorary queen of the Bacchanal for this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
because of the pocodonitis. <laughs> did she get that from drinking one too many glasses of whiskey with fingers in them? <laughs> Noya, you have to stop. You have to stop. <laughs> no. Mm. <laughs> I couldn't see your picture there for a second, and Austin, I did not know what that was referring to until I saw oh. your, your furry friend. <laughs> this is my boyfriend's dog. She's also playing, apparently. <laughs> I feel like maybe it's it's that you have, like, your, your two lovers are, like, really, really good at, like, echoing your words at the correct times, but sometimes they just get really excited and start licking you. <laughs> <laughs> So what scene do we want to see? Blues is heading to the somewhere. Of course, I'm like, what does it look? What is the structure? What is the layout of this? I could maybe offer some help as a, as the earth itself mm -hmm. to do a little bit of a description of what it looks like in the enclave right now. So at this moment, um, as blues is arriving to the gate, there are scudding storm clouds that are moving across the brightly glowing portion of the sky where the full moon has just begun to rise. So the storm clouds are low and heavy and they are matched by the beginnings of phosphorescence on the ground as all of our mushroom houses start to pick up a tinge of glow. At the full moon, they glow the brightest. And as the moon climbs higher in the sky, they're going to glow brighter and brighter until it's time for the Bacchanal. We can hear rumblings of thunder, and we can see a slight bit of ominous quivering in a couple of the mushrooms that are getting toward ripeness. And um, we can feel it in the ground itself. And there's kind of this mix of charged ionization from before a storm and the charge of the rumbling in the ground and everyone is just getting pretty excited. And as we look around the enclave, there's a lot of activity right at the center of the mining pit where we might be getting set up for the ceremony. Maybe I'll pass that one off to the Empress to describe what the ceremony looks like over there. But we're starting to get set up for the party and there's this feeling everywhere. What the party looks like. And you said that it was in the mining pit, isn't in the partially excavated landfill? So since we are, we're in this, the mountaintop that we live on has been removed from, oh. from mining. So, so it's in the center of that. And then below us, all around, like in like an ocean, is trash. Beautiful, glorious, life-giving trash. Okay, so um, the phosphorescent mushrooms grow strongest down here and what the empress and their lovers are preparing right now is essentially a mystical kegger in, in which uh usually proust would supply the amount of alcohol and drugs needed to do this uh but we are also painting each other's bodies uh with the phosphorescent mushrooms not so very much that blues will chastise us but in gorgeous patterns that glow in the dark um, and that is what the Empress and the lovers are doing now, while hopefully Proust is supplying us with the alcohol that we need. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm bringing that in. 
I mean, my friend, the wasteland salvager who normally brings me what I need, tends to be the person who helps me with this stuff. So they come in and join the party. They're not actually part of the collective, but they're a friend. And I'm actually a little bit weirded out um, because... It's like when the weed guy stays too long. No, no. They're not there. They haven't come. So I'm actually starting to like this feeling is kind of coursing through my body of the mushrooms and everything. And um, what's weird to me is my supplier who was going to bring a whole huge truck of additional, well, it was actually mainly ammo, but (laughs) several cases of this XXX whiskey that everybody loves so much that we put the fingers in was on its way. And also a bunch of coffee beans for tomorrow morning. And I'm starting to get a little freaked out because I'm wondering just where the heck my supplier is. And then at that moment, I see Blues kind of hurrying by in a state of being that I recognize, which is sort of a not high alert, but definitely um, not just chilling out. So I'm maybe considering that I want to follow where blues is going and find out if there's something going on. Another thing that the Empress will starting to be seek, by the way, is, um, is that Depot might usually do the music for these. Oh, given that Depot usually is the, the one in this compound with uh, a lot of electronics. Correct. So, uh, they are beginning to watch out um, while mystically being body painted. And this is the time to see them with uh, their lace off. And they are dressed in peacock blue with a big braid. They will start to look for Depot, who usually sets up. For this full moon in particular, Depot is all hands down. Depot is 100% into these bacchanals, which is part of why, you know, I had such an intense relationship with you, Empress. <laughs> but you know i'm oh, depot oh depot depot yes iris <laughs> <laughs> my drag mama needs to talk to you about her special number for this very special bacchanal oh right. um, so i would like for you to talk to her <laughs> and ask her what song she what, drag mama what song do you want drag yes. mama <laughs> yes, Iris. Yes. Um, that's a good question, and the answer is "Toxic" by Britney Spears. <laughs> Depot inserts Depot's hand into my deep jumpsuit pocket and pulls out a little small binder of CDs that I have <gasps> scavenged from the landfill. <laughs> recorded music is so rare nowadays. <laughs> like, let me see what I can find. And I pull out a scratched up CD and the young people are like, what is this? And then everyone else is like, oh my goodness, a CD. We haven't seen these in ages. And on it is now 13. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Britney Spears toxic on track number 13. And Depot goes, for you, drag mama, and your last full moon in our trash compound crater, I'll make it happen. 
Thank you, my dear. <laughs> All right, Drag Mamas, that's enough for part one. We're halfway through our trash utopian adventure, and this has been Queers at the End of the World. Next time, what happens when body paint and uninvited guests collide? Will the commune avoid violence? Will the Empress get depot back or move on with blues? Will the Iris let Bishop operate on their weird toe? And what about Proust? Will they ever get that milk steamer working for the perfect mountaintop macchiato? Find out next time in the thrilling conclusion of... The Group Sex and Medical Supplies, or A Story of Queer Utopia. Or maybe Pick Through My Trash and Call Me Doctor, A Story of Hipsters in Love. Or Where's My Gun? Where's my other gun? Yeah, but where's my other gun? A story of queers in uniform. Anyway, it's our last episode of the season, and it's coming up for you in two weeks. Our show art is by the fabulous Ellie Yanagasawa, who you can find for your own commission at Ellie the Cosmic Jelly. And you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash queers at the end of the world. The music for this episode was La Fine des Ericotes by Tintamare. You can find us at queerworlds.com or at queerworlds podcast on Instagram. If you enjoyed the show, we would really, really appreciate it if you'd rate and review us. It helps people find us and it lets us know that you're out there listening. And tell a friend who you think will enjoy it. All right. Good luck out there, dear hearts. <laughs> <laughs>